Think about your last promotion or starting a new job. What emotions did you experience? That's it. Welcome to Liminality. Welcome to the new episode of How to Thrive. Helen, how are you? Really good, thanks. Um, But I'm wondering, how was the half-term juggle for you? Oh, the half-term juggle is real. Um, Yes, for anyone who's listening out there who's got kids, um, hopefully you'll, um, well, you may well be feeling the same. I've got a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. So um, half-term this week was mainly testing my resilience. Um, We've been to soft play, we've been to clip and climb, I've been to a farm park. Um, Yeah, so it's been great, full on. And, you know, that juggle between trying to work and um, and play is, is very real. What about you? Your kids are a bit older, so... Yeah, my Do kids they just look after themselves? Pretty much, pretty much. Uh, but, uh, 13, uh, freshly 13 and um, 16 or just about 16. And um, my task this week has been um, hosting six 13-year-old boys uh, for just, just a film night, a bit of football and um, pizza. Um, it definitely has given me insights into the struggles that teachers might have of children this age and tested my resilience, uh, improved my communication and possibly my leadership. Um, it's, it was a learning experience, an opportunity, shall we say. And uh, yes, I think that's the best way to look at it. Well, you're just at the start of your half term and I'm now feeling smug because mine's over. Um, <laughs> but there we go. So who are we talking to today? I think we're talking to Ian Rodwell, um, yep. who uh, was absolutely fascinating, talking to us about liminal space and... Um, And before I try and explain what that is and probably make a complete mess of it, um, I think we'll just pass over to him, shall we? I think that's an excellent idea. Fascinating subject. But let's let the expert um, explain the concept. Here goes then. And join us at the end for um, our reflections. Um, Welcome today's guest, Ian Rodwell. We're really pleased to have you here with Helen and myself. Um, Another beautiful sunny day at Travis Smith. Thank you very much, Travis Smith, for hosting us. Um, We're extremely grateful. Um, So, Ian, lovely to have you on the podcast. Well, I'm delighted to be here. I'm a little apprehensive because I'm usually the one asking the questions. So I feel the tables have been turned. <laughs> I don't know. I've been on your podcast and I now feel the pressure because I feel like, you know, you, you're you way more experienced at this. But it's... um. It's 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 great to be here. Well, one thing I did is I gave you a question you weren't expecting. And so I, I'm anticipating the same. So that's adding to my sense of <laughs> nervousness and anxiety. So uh, Well, we pride ourselves on, on keeping a safe space. <laughs> so um, so hopefully you'll be all right. But I think what would be really interesting, we, we kind of start off with most of our guests asking this, is kind of what brought you to where you are now. Um, you know, for those people who don't know, who you are and your background, um, you know, it'd be really interesting to just give a brief summary of of that, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. So, well, there was no deliberate plan there. Uh, I've been a I've been at Linklaters for a good number of years. I won't say exactly how many, but a good number of years. And my focus at the beginning was around this newly emerging field at the time called knowledge management. And I've always had an interest in how people collaborate, how they innovate, how they share ideas and knowledge. And as time progressed, I started doing other things. I uh, studied for an MBA. And then I became drawn more towards the world of teaching and learning and development and, and coaching. And at that time, I was starting to work more and more with clients of the of the firm. 
And so one of the things that I do now is I have a suite of business skills training. So it covers everything from leadership, high-performing teams, creativity, et cetera, that I run for clients. And there is a podcast seri- uh, series that, uh, that accompanies this, which you were on before Christmas, um, Claire. And the other thing that I have become involved is, in is outside of Linklaters, I have been undertaking some doctoral research, which is I'm now in the final, the final year. This has to be the final year <laughs> um, for my own sanity, and that is around organisational storytelling. So these, these are the stories that people exchange. Uh, just on a daily basis, those little anecdotes, case studies, examples. Um, So it's the informal stories that people tell. Now, there's a lot of research on the value that those stories have in sharing knowledge, in uh, developing ideas, solving problems, building relationships and trust, um, creating social capital, etc. But not so much uh, research on where those stories take place. Uh, and I think the, the the pandemic has shown that there is a, a, a lot of interest now in the ways in which where we work can affect how we work. So um, the, the research has suddenly become quite quite topical, and that's what brought me to this whole area of liminal spaces. Yeah. So I think when we first when we first spoke, I was trying to I was trying to go back and trying to work remember how how we first spoke but i think it was probably through patrick um patrick mccann who put us in touch and when when you explained that you were doing this phd into liminal space my ears pricked up because it's something both helen and i had had um done some work with the transform the same transformational coach and um we'd we'd been introduced to this concept of liminal space um which is something that i find a, a fascinating concept but appreciate that not everyone's had the benefit of of that coaching. So for many, they'll probably be going, uh, liminal what? Um, So (laughs) it would be super helpful if you could explain exactly what we mean by liminal space. Yeah, and I'll do it with a little bit of a little bit of background, because if you Google it, there's a lot of stuff uh, about liminality uh, out there, some of it uh, more accurate than than others. Uh, In some ways, it's become a little bit overused. I remember there was a there was a, a tweet on Twitter, as it was at the time, saying, "I'm going to uh, I'm going to unfollow anyone who uses the word liminal." Um, <laughs> and what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you back, uh, way back to I think it's around 1909, and it was a, an anthropologist called Arnold van Gennep who wrote a book about rites of passage in traditional societies. And he described three stages to a rite rite of passage. So there's a separation where you're taken out of your society or community. That's the separation. Then you have the liminal stage, which is the period of transition. And then you are reincorporated back into your society or community. And these ideas were developed through the 60s and 70s by another anthropologist called Victor Turner. And he described it as a betwixt and between space. And it's an area where everything is indeterminate. So let's say it's a rite of passage uh, where you're going from you know, marking a, a transition from boy to man or girl to woman. So during the liminal stage, you are no longer classified as a boy, but not yet classified as a man. 
So it is a very ambiguous uh, stage, and it's associated with a range of emotions that could be excitement and exhilaration and anticipation, but also uh, sort of doubt and an anxiety and uncertainty. He also mentioned a couple of other things about uh, this stage. One, that it is a transgressive space, because if you think all the formal social rules have been suspended, mm -hmm. anything goes. So it can be a ludic space where you can play and where you can experiment and try new things. And then finally, because in a sense, every, all the former social distinctions have gone in this space, everybody is equal. So he talks about this sense of uh, communitas, uh, where every, this community of equals, where there's no distinctions between, between people. So those are some of the themes that run through it. And then it, the ideas started to transfer to a whole range of other disciplines. So psychology, sociology, literary criticism, and I guess the area that I'm most interested in, which is organization and management studies, business studies. And there is a lot that has been written about liminality. But just to bring it together, and maybe the focus of where our conversation will go, there's a, there's a really good article, uh, academic article, article by uh, Soderlund and Borg, and they basically talk about liminality in organizations from three perspectives. So they talk about liminal positions. So that's a betwixt and between position in an organization. So a lot of the early stuff was around consultants because you're in a liminal space. Then there's one which is the liminality of, of process. And this is really about, if you think any change um, initiative within an organization creates a liminal phase where everything sort of goes through this slightly uncertain uncertain phase. But from an individual perspective, you know, think about promotions. You know, one of the things, when I was, I was talking about this at a conference once, and before I even started mentioning sort of liminality, I got people to describe, think about your last promotion or starting a new job. What emotions did you experience? And you got that classic mix of I felt excited, um, I felt intrigued, I felt curious, I felt anxious. Uh, so you got all these sort of ambiguous feelings. And I said, yeah, that's it. Welcome to, welcome to liminality. Uh, so you've got that, you know, you get a promotion, that may be the excitement, but also that sense of doubt as well. Now, both of those, in a way, are metaphorical liminal spaces, if you think about it. But also, my, my research uh, focus is on material liminal spaces, so physical liminal spaces. And you may be thinking, well, you know, what does that, that, that encompass, Ian? Um, and I usually sort of approach it in, in sort of three different ways. And one, these are spaces which are lovely phrase, not mine, uh, off the geographical grid. So these are the overlooked, the mundane spaces in our organization, the spaces that you wouldn't necessarily show people on a tour. <laughs> so when I get my participants, I get them to take photographs of the spaces where they hear the best and the most stories. And suddenly you get kitchen areas. You get, kitchens at a party. Yeah, kitchens. Yeah. yeah, kitchens at a party. You get lift lobbies. You get the toilets. Um, you know, you get uh, you get sort of like uh, sort of like cafe areas. 
Um, so the other thing about these spaces as well is they're not, they're, they don't tend to be owned by anyone. These are neutral uh, sort of spaces beyond the borders of different, different communities. So how does that, just, just thinking about that in terms of open plan offices, and obviously I think there's been a, a shift probably over the past 15 years maybe to, to, to maybe actually the shift is coming back the other way now, but to move to an open plan environment. And this feeling of nobody owns that office space, I wonder whether there, whether it was a conscious or subconscious decision to kind of say, well, that will create more freedom for conversation and ideas because someone doesn't own that space. It's, it's, it's seen as a shared territory. I think it's a really, I think it's a really interesting question. You get into these ideas of spaces that are actually created for particular purposes, but don't necessarily mm-hmm. deliver that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it depends on the space and how it's designed. Uh, and actually, a few years ago, I was talking to, uh, well, I was just starting off on the research, and uh, I'd been running a session at a client and. Uh, you know, one of the attendees was, we were talking about the research I was doing and was, was really interested in it. He said, oh, I've got something you might be interested in. He said, I'm going to show you two spaces. And he showed me, first of all, the open plan area where the legal team was working. And it was like some kind of savannah, um, just rolling acres of desks. And he said, what do you notice? And I said, it's really quiet. He said, yeah. He said, you know, you have an area that is designed to encourage interaction and communication, but it's not because people are suddenly very conscious of, you know, being overheard, of creating too much noise. He said, I'll show you the space where I hear the best stories. And he took me to the stairs and he said, it's on the stairwells. This is where we go if we want to have a good chat. Um, these are the spaces that we go. One of the organizations that I was, I was researching with, they, they showed me Smoker's Corner, which was, um, this really windswept, wet, rather smelly street corner, um, in West London. And one of the, one of the participants said, without this space, I would go insane because this is where we get together it's literally outside the building if we think about that as being internal kind of the internal dynamics team dynamics would your research also cover the dynamics between client and um guest professional service provider like their lawyer so when you have meetings the set up the meeting room kind of because i'm very aware i mean it's beautiful the surroundings we're in now and i've been to linklater's office and it's it's you know it's similar but I wouldn't necessarily say that the environment of a of a um, a meeting room it can be quite stale. Mm. It probably isn't really that um, conducive to getting to know your client in a in a more personal or a, a, a more authentic, I suppose. Way. I, I agree, and I think that the, the time where the stories are swapped is tends to be either before or after the meeting, mostly after, you know, when you, when you disperse and you're packing things up. And actually when you leave the room and you go through reception. So I personally, I would say reception for me 
is a is a storytelling space. That's where you have those little conversations. So you were mentioning at the start about um, whether I was going to throw you a question that I hadn't prepared you for, and actually I am, and that it touches on this. So I hope you don't mind. But it's about where liminality fits within uh, remote hybrid situations and and the online environment that we are mm-hmm. in. You know the 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 increased reliance on Teams, Zooms, Google Meet. Can there be liminality there? How, you know, does your research touch on how you can incorporate spaces for organizational storytelling within within those those places? Well, I think there's two there's two aspects there. Because if you think about, you know, working well, working remotely, but in particular working from home, that creates a really interesting liminal space because you've got, you know, you you, you have got the blurring of borders between two different worlds. You have got the world of work and you have got the domestic world. And I think that is a classic liminal space. We did an exercise when we, as we were going through pandemic and beyond, we used to do this thing called the four L's exercise on some of our internal sessions. I, I ran it with a number of clients, I ran it at conferences. And we were getting people to reflect on the things that they uh, that they liked or they loved from remote working, what they lacked um, what they learned and what they longed for in the future. And you got such a mix of different emotions coming through, that feeling of, on the one hand, sort of freedom and flexibility. At the other end, you know, it was, there seemed to be no boundaries to my life anymore. I feel stressed. And sometimes people feel it, the same person feeling these, these mixed emotions. Now, obviously, it was really dependent on context and a whole load of other things, but you saw these mixed emotions. And I always thought it's quite intriguing that the, the two worlds would literally impinge on each other. So all those stories about, you know, pets, children suddenly kind of appearing in mm. the in the background. And those the borders between those two worlds suddenly becoming rather fuzzy, which actually I thought was a was really nice. A number of people talked about it actually humanized the workplace that we were comfortable bringing the, these worlds together. But for others, um, and one of the academics that I'm really inspired by is, is Harriet Short, who's down at the University of West of England, who's written a lot about space and liminality. And uh, she wrote uh, an article uh, with another academic called Michael Isaac called The Contested Home. And it was the summer of 2020, so it came out really quickly. And saying for for some, it it has become a place of kind of anxiety. It's managing those two different different worlds. Um, For some, it's a positive experience. For some, it's a a negative experience. I think... Sorry to interrupt. I think that I've, I've listened to quite a few things and read quite a few things late, lately about the huge amount of burnout that you know, many professions are experiencing and this link between burnout and always being on and the link there between working from home and the fact that your office and your lives, there's, there's no kind of nine to five, you arrive, you set that space out and that time is protected. And then when you clock out, you, you clock off, your brain doesn't, it, it's it's always there, it's always present and it's easy to dip into and therefore people are always on and always thinking and, and therefore the, the outcome of that is often that people experience higher degrees of burnout because... Well, I suppose when you think about it, just thinking the commute is almost a liminal space, I suppose, because it's between home life and work life. Wouldn't that be? Yeah, I, I would. I, I would agree with that, and it's a transition stage. And and actually, one of my participants mentioned the train journey 
Um, and it was a group that she'd often travel there with a group of colleagues. And she talked about this transition from kind of work mode to non-work mode. And that transition happened mm -hmm. during the journey. And, and the commute was interesting because that kind of, we would have the same people, the same person would put it into the um, the, the love bucket and the, um, the lack bucket. Because uh, on the one hand, they would say, well, I'm saving, you know, at, you know, an amount of time here and saving energy. But at the same time, mm. I'm lacking this buffer zone. Mm. And I, I was always interested in the way I had a colleague who basically did a yoga commute. So they would devote the same amount of time that they used for their, uh, for their commute to yoga. Mm. And that became that buffer zone. I had, an, I had another colleague who created a border and I which is a, a literal but also a symbolic border as well, um, almost to deliminalize the two uh, the two areas. At the end of the day, she would put a tea towel over her laptop. <laughs> so you've got this symbol of domesticity is suddenly draped over. So it's out of view, but it's also being sort of cloaked by the home, as it were. So I thought that was I really symbolically like that. quite powerful. I mean, one of the things I've noticed since I no longer have a commute, work from home, um, I used to love my commute when I was when I was at Huel. It'd be like forty minutes there, forty minutes back. I spent the whole time listening to. I'd either be in silence or listening to podcasts, and I found it a really um, like a satisfying place to be for my own personal growth. And now I don't have that, and instead we live right next door to the school, and I've got two young kids who are at that school. The, there is no divide I rush out the door at 14 minutes past three I pick them up at 15 minutes past three you know and then we're back home at 16 minutes past three and without that space I find the switch from the work brain to the the family brain the home brain incredibly difficult and challenging and actually quite detrimental for probably the children but also for for me so it's it's really interesting I mean that probably brings me on to another question, which was, I think we've touched on this al already, but, you know, why does it matter? You know, why do we need um, liminal spaces? Why do we need organisational storytelling? I think we have touched on it, but it'd be really interesting to just kind of reinforce that point because, you know, ultimately, why does that help us to thrive? I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'll sort of answer that, but I'll also bring in, you know, we were talking about the effects of the panel, and one effect of that um and it's sort of linked to what we were saying saying before. One of the things that came up under lack was um, I miss those serendipitous encounters, those casual collisions, those, uh, those those random meetings, just bumping into people. So many times in the research, you know, when I talk to people, they say I just bump in, bumped into someone. And I mean, it, it, really, it was quite interesting. It was, uh, Andy Haldane, who was chief economist at the Bank of England at the time, I think it was the autumn statement to 2020, talked about serendipity between being the cradle of creativity. And of course, what you can't do on Zoom and Teams really is serendipity. You're kind of scheduled that you're going to meet particular people at a particular particular time. And so I think there is a real there is a real value in serendipity. And I think one of the things, practical things that has come out of, you know, as we as we transitioned into hybrid working is actually being my, more mindful about how we use particular spaces. And really, is there a point in coming into an office and spending, you know, how many hours it is just sitting on Teams meetings that frankly you could do anywhere? 
And part of it is, you know, how do you use that you know, part of your day to stimulate serendipity? And it might be, so one of the things that, that I do is I will, I was doing it this morning, is I'll always sit in our cafe area um, first thing for about an hour or so, catching up on my catching up on my emails. And it's amazing the number of people that I, as I did this morning, see three or four people that I wasn't expecting to see, scheduled to see, that we would have a quick a quick conversation. Mm-hmm. It could be, um, uh, and this is something I, I do from time to time, is just get off the lift at the wrong floor. You know, just walk through a bit of the office you haven't walked through for a while and see who you bump into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can guarantee that every conversation you you have, there will be some value to it. You will learn something that you wouldn't necessarily have learned sitting at home. It's it's so true and so important. If I think about when I've when I've been in house, um, you know, they're kind of breaking down the boundaries and that that assumption that the lawyer is there to be the the no person. You know, quite often you're assumed to be quite robotic, quite difficult to you know, difficult to communicate with. The way, the single way that I have managed to break that down is by presence and just conversation and you know just general chat. I, I mean, when I first went, well, my second role in house, um, I was at, I had an office of my own, and I always had the door open, but I would wander around a lot just having chats with people. And I actually, I actually said to my boss at the time, I said to him, um, by the way, when I'm walking around chatting to people, please don't think that I'm basically doing nothing because actually this is really important it's really important to me to go and chat to the marketing team about what they're up to not and it may not be about what campaigns are you running it may be about you know how's your wedding planning going or how are the kids because having that relationship is really important Um, and I think it can be very easy to just especially you're talking about like this, this hybrid working and going into the office and feeling that when you do go into the office you have to be like at your desk because now you're in the office whereas actually the value comes from the coffee shop and and, and sitting on your laptop it's almost um the lack of agenda isn't it that creates the space you know when you very often when we have scheduled meetings or scheduled teams meetings for instance we have an agenda and we have a specific amount of time that we have which is generally less time than is required and you always have that moment where you know somebody's going to say i'm really sorry i have to hop off to my next meeting and that's time done isn't it that's over Mm. so you almost rush into the agenda of what you need and forget the other bits of um i'm listening to you both i'm minded of the um join work framework from the ihi of the the idea of what matters to you you know finding out what matters to your colleagues not just at work but at home as well so that you have that connection and that understanding of um what what matters you know what makes this person tick and what what's a good day and what's a bad day for them because they are human after all. And I wanted to go back. There was one thing you, because we were talking about liminality and, and what it can give you. And if we if we step away, um, metaphorically, from uh, physical spaces and just go back to sort of Soderlund and Borg and talking about, you know, the liminality you feel if you're in betwixt and between position or if you are moving between roles. And I think what liminality gives you is a lens through which you can analyze what you're experiencing. So going back to that conference where I was talking about liminality and I introduced it by saying, you know, a new role, a new position or whatever, and the emotions that you feel. Somebody came up to me afterwards and said, "Um, Ian, I really want to thank you for that because I now have a word to describe what I'm going through. 
And I said, oh, t tell me more. She said, well, I've just left a job and I've set up as an independent consultant and all those things that we've been talking about, that that real mix of emotions and feelings, that's what I'm going through. And it's it's kind of struck me that this is this is normal. This is what being in a liminal phase involves. And I think there's two other things that we can take from that. You know, going back to the, the rites of passage, traditionally what people would have is an elder that would guide you through the process. So think about, you know, as you're going through a transition, the opportunities for being mentored or for being coached to have that elder there. Um, and also that sense of communitas as well. You know, in the traditional rites of passage, you would have a group going through the same experience uh, with you. So find people who are in a similar, you know, is there a network that you can join, you know, for people who have started their own business? You know, is that community that you can become, that you can become mm. part of? One of the things that we, and I mentioned that we'd, we'd shared the same transformational coach and, and we did some of her courses as well. And one of the things I think, and Helen, correct me if I've, if I've remembered this wrong, but we talked about liminal space was about this the space to pause and the space to grow and the space for creativity and curiosity and in in the world that we live in which is so fast paced and you know, everything's immediate and you know you can get your amazon delivery same day and in all you know uber eats you don't even need to leave to go to the the supermarket that actually it was an incredibly important place to have in order for that inward reflection but also to stimulate your growth as well um i don't know whether that's have i remembered that correctly helen mm -hmm. yeah i think so i mean is that that's kind of more of the emotional space i suppose but, as opposed to physical I, I but i think with the growth as well because you know if you look at the uh, again if you go back to the rights of passage what is it it's a progressive experience you move from one state to a to another state and there is a sense of progress and growth to that but I think also embracing the you know those transgressive elements. This is a this is a space where you can experiment, mm -hmm. and you can try different things. Mm -hmm. And you know when you're in this, you know think about it. You know you this is an opportunity to, you know, to to try different approaches, uh, new learn new tools, try things you hadn't considered before. So I think there is that sense of being experimental in those spaces as well. Do you think? Do you think liminal spaces can ever sometimes be negative places for people? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think so. You know, there's a there's a big debate about yeah, in the academic world about um, because it is a, a space of transition, and there is an argument that well, actually, perhaps you you could be permanently in the liminal state. Uh, so it could be somebody who is continually their life is going to be a series of different sort of gig roles. Mm -hmm. um, and is that a positive or is that a negative experience? Because you've got no sense of closure on it, that you're just moving from one thing, one thing to another. So yeah, you know, as part of that liminal space, you know, we talk about it's a, it's a variety of experiences. Mm -hmm. And for some, maybe the anxiety and the doubt and the uncertainty is going to outweigh those positive experiences. Not everybody is going to go through it in the same the same way. So I think it can be, yes. I was just interested in um, my own experience of um, on the first day of the first lockdown, I was um, made redundant to a, 
a job that I really, really loved, uh, along with all of the other people in the organisation who were very passionate about their roles within that organisation. And it was a huge sense of loss for everybody. And I was just thinking about the fact we were all thrust into this enormous liminal space, this betweenness where we all were kind of thrown out to sea almost, if you see what I mean, and kind of along coupled with lockdown and forced with getting a new job and stuff. It was, you know, it, it's it's sort of making that purposeful and coming out the other side of it has been quite interesting. And, and for me, the journey of, of that that movement and finding the right place to be when you're thrust into the space, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, but somehow, I I think more than that, the potential grabs me of the place to play to, to um to to for for growth and opportunities that you maybe haven't experienced before. Just creating those spaces for yourself in a world where we're so so busy, we don't often stop to think, do we? So you know, yeah. creating places where you can actually kind of exhale and just imagine what might be possible. Yeah, and I think if you go, if you look at what you're doing, you know, if you think about the, you know, the conference you ran, the conference you're planning, what you're doing, and I think any of us who are involved in teaching or training, we are trying to create a liminal space for those that are attending. You know, literally, we have taken them out of their day-to-day -day world and they have joined us either in person or they have joined us remotely. During that time, we want we encourage them to think, to experiment, to play. We hope that there is a progression. You know, we are those traditional elders who are guiding them through <laughs> the guiding them through the process. And I think we've spoken about it before. Is you know, let's think about the spaces, literal spaces in which we do that. You know, I. So that's so interesting yeah. because when we were. Um, <clears throat> When we were when we were planning how to thrive, both the the one in September and this one, the space was so important. It was so important to us that we didn't. It wasn't too corporate. Uh, that it wasn't. You know, there was light. There was natural light. Had windows. Light, had yeah, windows, that's always a plus, you know, like, isn't it? For the amount of times you've been in the basement of a hotel, or yeah. um, and actually we found it really hard. I mean, the first the first how to thrive was in Woolwich, and it was the most beautiful space, like beautiful. And this time we are doing it in more central London, but. Um, at a space actually we both know Wallace Space mm. Clerkenwell and it, it just felt so important and actually lots of the feedback we got was about the space about how it had taken people it felt safe they'd taken people out of their their normal corporate environment so that they felt like they would had space you know emotional psychological space to consider the topics that we were we're talking about and I think sometimes, you know, compare that to conferences that I have been, I've been to, which have thriving as, as a theme, uh, but it's been in an underground auditorium and it's almost the artificial lights, the low ceilings, and it feels like actually this isn't a space in which I, I can. It's at such juxtaposition between what you're talking about and the physical environment. It doesn't, I haven't got space to, to consider it. So we ask all of our guests um, for their three top tips for thriving might be related to liminality, liminal space. It might have nothing to do with that at all. Um, but we're always really interested. <laughs> well, I thought I'd try and be good and I would stick to what we discussed for my for my three ideas. And they probably won't surprise you because it, it it does connect to what we have we have chatted about. So I think the first is, you know, use space tactically. And don't feel 
uh, guilty about um, migrating to spaces that you feel give you energy and help you think in a different different way. So I mentioned the, the sort of the cafe this morning, and actually one of the reasons I go there, as well as the serendipity, is I think that kind of mix of business and also it's a social environment. It looks like a cafe. It gives me a different mindset, more mm. grounded mindset. And I'll often, if I'm at home and there are emails late in the day and it's going to need a bit of thinking to respond to them thoughtfully and um, they can wait to the following morning. I will save them till the following morning because the way I respond in the cafe space will be far more um, effective than if I tried to do it from home. So, uh, and also, you know, at some stage during the day, I will tend to go for a walk. And if it's just around the Barbican, it's almost a reset button mm -hmm. that will just kind of get me thinking in a different way. So I think use space tactically. The other one, I've, uh, the next one I've got is look in the liminality mirror. And this goes back to what we were discussing about, you know, use those ideas around liminality, about a, you know, about a space where you're going to feel different emotions and think, is this is what is this the space I'm in at the moment? It could be related to, you know, you are starting, starting out on a on a new role. Um, it could be that you find yourself doing a bit of consulting. You could find yourself on secondment and feeling this mix of emotions. And actually, I think what liminality gives you is it reassures you that, yeah, this is okay. This is fine. This is what you're going through. This is actually what we expect. So I think look in the liminality mirror. And actually going back to what you were saying, Helen, about sort of creating moments of liminality, the third one I've got is put disrupt your routines, which is slightly ironic coming from me because I tend to live by routines and habits. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not very good at changing my routines. But when I do, I am almost universally surprised and delighted by then by what happens then. Okay, so I will give you I will give you an example. It was from last weekend, and it was a colleague of mine who um, set up a fantastic uh, charity. And she said, "Oh, it's um, we're 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 having our new board is getting together. We're going to have a strategy day. Um, would you would you be able to facilitate it for us? Uh, it's going to be on a Saturday." And, you know, part of me was thinking, um, on Saturday, I do certain things on Saturday, I do my research on a Saturday, and it's going to be a long journey in, etc. You know, I'm breaking my routine. Part of me is, this is going to be fantastic. Uh, it's a fantastic cause. It's an opportunity to, to help them to, you know, maybe sort of, uh, they're going to be a bit of clarity around what they want to achieve by the, by the end of the day. And I remember thinking about it in advance and going, oh, Saturday, I've got to do this thing, etc. Then I get up on Saturday morning, I'm feeling quite excited about this. Mm -hmm. Feeling a little bit apprehensive and a bit nervous. Is it going to go? I've never met these these people before, um, and the day was absolutely um, I don't know how it was for them, but it was transformational <laughs> yeah. for me because I came out of it. I'd learned a lot. Um, I'd been so impressed by what they were achieving. I'd been humbled by what they were they were doing, and I felt wow, this is the most brilliant day I've had in so many days. And it came through disrupting your routines. So, yeah, that would be my third, uh, that would be my third really learn to thrive tip. I feel like yeah. I, my brain is buzzing with lots of things that I want to kind of take away and digest. But, you know, it's 
I could sit here for hours talking to you and I think it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> I, hope, I hope the listeners find it. James, who's recording you know. this, is now looking very yeah. nervous. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I, I hope, hopefully the listeners are um, as interested as we are, but I, I find it really an, a hugely interesting concept and really important for so many of the skills that, that we need. Definitely, thank you. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So, wow, what an interesting topic of conversation. I think liminal space is something that we've talked about quite a bit before. I'm not entirely sure why. I think maybe it's because um, we've done different teachings where we've we've heard, you know, this concept of betwixt and between. But the way that Ian brings it back to the corporate space is was really interesting um, and makes it feel very, very relevant for the times that we're living in at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I think when I first heard about liminal spaces, because it's not words that you'd frequently use or a concept that we talk about a lot, it's easy to believe it's, again, slightly on the woo-woo, slightly, Mm. you know, ethereal or or another level or something like that. But I think it is so, so pertinent to what we are faced with the struggles we're faced with the challenges that you know the interesting things that happen in our workplaces at the moment and this kind of hybrid working working from home and the, the you know what happens with us then um i think it's definitely worth understanding or at least kind of sort of creating space for that concept to try and understand it yeah i agree and i think before before i really spoke would spoke to ian i think i was thinking of it as purely from its like from the creative space from the the fact that you know you left this space betwixt and between where you kind of weren't affiliated to anything and you had that space to be creative and you were leaving I suppose like your biases behind but listening to him kind of talk about the physical aspect of it and um kind of this physical transition um and kind of almost when we were talking about like the commute and the move the commute being like a liminal space I really enjoyed that I really enjoyed that kind of um kind of really grounding it back into everyday everyday relevance and I think the work he's doing in his PhD in terms of you know importance of liminal space in in corporate offices is you know it's absolutely essential we you know the world's changed massively over the past few years and making office space and corporate spaces or in fact any any space really it could be a home space relevant for what you want to achieve in that area is almost even more important than it ever was um you know not just in terms of encouraging people back into the office if that's if that's required but also in terms of maximizing the function of the office you know as this place where people can really connect and discuss ideas potentially even more than just having formal meetings in meeting rooms um, because you might be able to do that over teams yeah definitely I've always been really interested to the in this kind of idea of water cooler moments as well which I think Mm. is something that I know that I certainly miss not working in um, an office or, or an environment you know in a hospital those moments that you don't kind of expect in your day where you bump into somebody and have a conversation that leaves you far richer. Um, you know, when we're working at home on our own, you just don't get that opportunity. Um, no. 
it's not mm. my dog doesn't offer the same caliber of chat I'm afraid <laughs> yeah and I think you know and, and as a as you know when I think back to my time as an in-house lawyer and, and I mentioned this you know the the importance of that that liminal space if you like between sitting in the in the um kitchen so that I wasn't at my desk and I wasn't meeting people at their desk, but I was just kind of available, was so important to understand what was going on within the business. Mm -hmm. Um, And kind of recognizing that as a place where it was less formal and you just chatted and you connected with people and you learned. So, yeah, so I think it's a a really interesting concept. And, And, you know, again, people might, like you were saying, think it's a bit woo woo or thinking, oh, liminal space all sounds a bit technical, but... I think it's a really interesting concept for people to really dwell dwell on and think about and think about how they can maximize the potential of of those spaces within their their lives. Yeah, and appreciate them. You know, we we all have this search at the moment for more time. We all feel very busy and sometimes it doesn't feel like there is any sort of time just between other things, but perhaps considering the concept we might be able to get to a place where we actually begin to recognize those moments when we do have an opportunity to just you know explore our thoughts um Mm. do something different and kind of enjoy that moment and begin to reclaim it slightly so that we're not kind of jumping from one thing to another but actually appreciating that space and do you know what I think I just thought of uh, something, which is, is this podcast like a liminal space? Like a space between the existing way of working and potential for new ways? Yeah. I don't know. I'd have to ask Ian that question. <laughs> <laughs> but I like that because you might, and it might be a space within a space, because if you think about when you listen to podcasts, that might be, you know, when you're commuting or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might... Definitely also inspire you to talk to other people you know in that lift lobby or in the stairwell or you know it might be something that makes it easier to start to start the conversation as well so I guess it's all connected I think it's absolutely all very very really interesting. interesting well we'll leave it there I think but um yeah I'd love to hear from anybody who thinks you know if they've got any comments about liminal space or the podcast generally we'd love to hear what you think um and as always, what do we say? Subscribe, like and follow just helps um, helps us to keep going and to um, yeah, show anybody who might be interested that there, there could potentially be some growth. Definitely. Also, though, Claire, is Ian joining us for How to Thrive? Oh, he is. Yes. But he mentions that in the he mentions that in the podcast. So he is joining us for House to Thrive. He's doing a brilliant session for on the junior day called um, the Collaboration Game which I'm really excited about. It's something that he yeah. he does with his juniors at Linklaters and um, yeah, should be a really interactive, fun way of demonstrating the power of connection. So really looking forward to that. Um, so I think there's still a few tickets left for both junior and senior days. So if people are interested in coming, then um, thrive-legal.co.uk is the place to go. Um, we'll speak to you again in the next couple of weeks where we will have another exciting guest. In the meantime, Helen, have a fab fortnight. Yeah, good luck with half term. (laughs) Yeah, I fear I need luck.